Somewhere in the West, there's a place where sound, soul, and groove meet. Where the music of new artists meets listeners like you. Just like the ocean meeting the shore. We call that place the Groove Coast. And now, here are your hosts, John Celentano and Daryl Craig Harris. Welcome, everybody, to the Groove Coast podcast with myself, uh, Daryl Craig Harris, and my co-host, John Celentano. We're both in Las Vegas. Hey, everybody. Uh, Today, we have an awesome special guest uh, and good friend, Fiona Ross. Fiona um, has a long history. She's uh, basically coming, actually, you're coming from your home in North Greenwich, which is, which is sometimes where I stay in London. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, So Fiona is a senior writer for Jazz Europe Magazine, guest editor, for Jazz Quarterly, award-winning jazz vocalist, producer, music educator, founder of Women in Jazz Media, um, teacher of such notable singers as Rita Ora, Ed Sheeran. Um, we're going to talk about all that stuff. How are you doing, Fiona? I'm fine, thank you. That sounded like an insanely long list. I'm like, do I do well, that? You know, I'm I- like, yeah, I guess I kind of do. <laughs> I actually could have went longer, but I kind of appreciate it. It's terrible when people say to me, also, what do you do? And I'm like, loads of stuff because it's yeah. just too complicated. Because it and also sounds a bit funny. Well, I'm this, I'm this. It's just kind of, you know, know, we all have these kind of portfolio careers now. So, well, I think all three of us are kind of the same. We all have 10 jobs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, when someone says, what do you do? It's kind of like, yeah, I do some music stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've had a really, uh, really fun career. I mean, we're, we've been friends now for, um, uh, I guess, some years. And, and when I go to London, I usually stay with you at your house and we have our, our awesome talks at night. Um, so you started, um, you were actually kind of a, a theater kid, right? That's how you got, you got your start. Yeah, my um, my mum was one of those kind of crazy stage mum types. In fact, I think there's an American documentary about exactly the type of person my there's, mom there's was. There's a few. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I don't really know. I think because it kind of, um, there's a lot of um, kind of creativity and artistic stuff in my family, but I think it kind of missed my mum and dad. So they always had mm. a passion for it, but not what they did or wanted to do as a career. So I think as soon as I came along, it was like, right, this is <laughs> this is what you're going to do. So yeah, I think my first job that I don't remember um, was when I was two, I was uh-huh. modeling because I had this kind of, because I'm naturally ginger Right. Uh, and I had like this massive kind of ginger hair. So it was a very kind so of commercial. People, people notice you. <laughs> look. Yeah, yeah. So I did loads of photo shoots and kind of radio stuff. And, and yeah, I was theater trained. So yes, I've been doing this for a, a crazy long time. Makes me feel like mm-hmm. a, a million years old, like really. <laughs> so something I've, I've sort of, well, we were talking one night and you kind of just casually mentioned that you were in Annie <laughs> in the West End. Uh, I guess I would have been what the seventies, right? What year was it then? I was born in the 70s. Well, hang on. So, uh, well, I can't tell you how old I am. Now that well, I, I, yeah, I would I was about to work out the year. I'm like, oh, no, no, hang on. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I was, I was eight when I did uh, Annie. Wow. And I mean that, you know, like it's funny because you kind of casually mentioned that, and that. But back in the day, that was a huge show, right? That was like a, a big deal. Oh, it was. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I was, and it was technically my first lead role as such, you know, because um, I said I trained in dance and drama and, and singing right. and, and all that kind of thing and was doing all of it and very much raised in the, you know, the theatre world. And that's what I was going to do. Um, and normally there's, you know, you start in chorus work and you kind of try and right. the dream is that you eventually work up to to being the kind of the star. It's funny, um, so you're, you're, you're already the star at eight years well, old. Like, yeah. that, now where do I go? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Right. And also, and I talk to people quite a lot about this is, you know, part of in the theater world, in the chorus line is you have to be exactly the same. So you're trained right. to be exactly the same. 
but also stand out. Well, <laughs> it's I know. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? So it's a strange, funny world. But um, but yes. I, but to be honest, I think it was just because I I could sing a bit and I had ginger hair. So yeah. you know. Well, I'm sure, yeah. You you are. I mean, you're being <laughs> modest, but I mean, I'm sure there must have been hundreds of kids that were up for that role. So. Oh, they, yeah. That, and that's the thing. I remember this really well. The auditions I used to go to. My mum used to pat me off, and I think every day I was doing something, and kind of you know piling up with all these kind of young girls and look this way and do this and say this, right. and it was it, you know it was the thing that you imagine. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, and I didn't. I think it's only looking back as a grown up that I really can analyze the kind of what that my life was like. Cause at the time I, I didn't yeah, you're know just doing different. your thing, right? Yeah. I, you know, that's always what I've done. And people always say, well, you know, what made you decide to do this? I'm like, well, I never actually made that decision. It's just, <laughs> sort of it's what it. I've always done. <laughs> and I didn't object. So don't get me wrong, but yeah. I never actually made that decision. Right. So, yeah. John Celentano. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so what you, you say there was no decision made. It was just, there was never any, never any backup plan because when people and kids go into the arts their parents are always now look this is fine but you know maybe just make sure you have some kind of you know fallback there was nothing there was none of that for you no and I have to say it's really weird and, and both my parents aren't aren't uh, with us anymore and I have so many questions kind of as, a, as an adult that I wish I could you know ask them right <laughs> um, because yeah. you know but both of I mean my family are mathematicians so they were both oh, wow. mathematicians my brother's a mathematician so you know I am kind of the odd one out so it's really curious when you think well you know what why was this direction chosen for me because yeah it was never an option it was literally my my career goal was to be a star. My mum wanted me to be the next Judy Andrews. That oh, was wow. her dream. Wow. And I never wanted to be the next Judy Andrews because I was classically trained in kind of piano and singing. And I worked yeah. with the English National Opera for a bit. So I did do some opera, but it was never something I wanted to to yeah, do. And that's, I mean, that all those things are so competitive, right? When you're, especially when you're young, you have these cattle call auditions and the hundreds of people show up to get these roles. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's, that's really shaped who I am now, because I think when I started doing my jazz thing, you know, and there's this, you know, jazz artist and who are you? What I love about jazz in particular is that I'm just me, you know, whatever it is, I haven't got to, well, I don't feel, I haven't got to compete. I haven't got to be like this person, this person. It's like, well, do you know what? This is me. Take it or leave it. If you don't like my stuff, that's completely fine. Whereas in the theatre world, it's like, you've got to be like this. You've got to be this height. You've got to have this hairstyle. It's Yeah. Yeah. And that's just not, that's not me. Although I was brought up, you know, in that way. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lot of, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to, so did your so your parents must have given you just this unconditional push, right? And and yeah, and support to to do it. Yeah, it's quite incredible, really, because I don't I don't know where that came from because they came from <laughs> a very poor background. They're both kind of working class. My dad was um, the the youngest of fifteen, um, lived wow. in this wow. tiny house in Scotland, um, and I yeah I've got all these crazy kind of Scottish relatives, and my mum's from kind of um, Newcastle-ish, so kind of up north as well. Again, kind of and her brother's uh, um, was a, a lorry driver, um, so very different upbringings, and they made a lot right. of money. They worked extremely hard. Um, and and became quite wealthy but they they surely had that drive to kind of you need an income you need to make money so it's kind of curious that you know that they didn't say well you need this as a backup or you need this it was just no no this is what you're doing if you're going to do it you're going to do it right if you're going to pursue this then you might as well 
go yeah i yeah i was i was extremely fortunate because most people i know as you say you know parents are not supportive or kind of well all right if you want to do it but you have a backup job or kind of have some other Mm -hmm. skills um i never that was never drilled into me at all i mean i I mean i went to kind of private schools and i kind of had a a very good education um Mm -hmm. but but you know it, it was never that i might do something else it's like no no this this is what you're doing you know, it's, it's, it's interesting great. though that oh. you're, you're going, no, go ahead. I, I can, we can, we can say this. Go ahead. That's okay. I, I was, okay. Well, what I was going to say, what's great about your experience growing up, because you later on have, have gone on to be quite a teacher with a, a, a large, a very well-known background in teaching. Um, it's great that you have that experience as a young person that you can impart those uh, nuggets of, of um, your background and, and what, what to kind of, you know, help support students have gone, probably many have gone through that same thing where they didn't have the parental support, right? You, you know how, you know how that feels, when, think, yeah, how to deal with it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting that I find still hard to deal with is when young people don't know what they want to do. And mm. it's a question that I, and I know lots of kind of young people who don't have a career goal or they, you know, they don't know what they want to do. And, and it's something I, I can, understand but not really because I never had that this is what I want to do for a career and this is you know right. or, or this is how I found my space it's just what I've always done and I speak to a lot of young people who are kind of like well I like to do a bit of this bit of this but they haven't got that motivation and drive and and I that's something I can understand it at a certain level but also completely can't just because it's nothing I've experienced right mm-hmm. um you um so you, as you said, you were very well educated. Then you ultimately, um, you ended up, well, actually, what were some of the schools at, in later years that you went to for training? I know that's pretty pre- prestigious schools. I went to um, Arts Educational School, which is the equivalent to, I think, do you call it the High School of Performing Arts in New York, the Fame School? Right. It's, it's pretty much the London one of those. So, and funny enough, um, it's where Julie Andrews was trained. And I remember <laughs> I, was, I was 11 I love uh, Julie we Andrews, looking. by the way. I know, well, <laughs> you would have got on with my mom. Um, <laughs> and um, when we were looking at different schools to send me to, uh, and I remember there was this one that, to me, looked really cool. And I really wanted to go there um, because basically you'd be in a class and then they'd suddenly whisk you off to an audition. So you might oh. be in a math, math class or something. And there's like, oh, no, there's a there's a call for this kind of show. And they you know take you out of class and you'd go. Which I, At the time, I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. I want to do this. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but my mum was like, no, you need a proper education. And yeah, we want, we want those opportunities to be there, but you need to, the training is just as important. So she chose the arts educational um, because Judy Andrews went there and, and in her mind, well, she's a well-educated, intelligent star. So that's, that's where I should, <laughs> that's where I should go. But loads of famous people went there, like uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, lo- loads of names. But yeah, it's like the kind of the famous school in New York. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, my brother went to American Academy of Dramatic Arts in, in uh, California, oh, wow. actually. Mm. And I used to play there. I used to play in the house band for, for the rehearsals. And, and the energy, like when you get in that environment with that kind of energy where everybody's, you know, they're all like trying to make it and they're all mo- highly motivated. Not all of them, but most of them. Uh, that's such an intoxicating atmosphere, really. Yeah. It's it's insane. And I'm, a, I'm still friends with quite a few people. And in fact, Adam, uh, who I went there with, he's, he was a guest mm. vocalist on 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 my last album Uh, and we hadn't it was really nice to kind of get back so we quite often talk about that period of time and it was insane and it certainly wouldn't be allowed now you know I mean things like we we 
did dance on tables. You know, yeah. we would be in the dressing room walking around half naked and suddenly, you know, burst into some kind of, you know, cheesy <laughs> school routine. And in fact, I remember Kids from Fame was a big thing at the time. I don't know if you know that TV series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that was huge. We loved that. And we would. We would kind of work out all the choreography and be in the dressing room and do that. So there was lots of amazing stuff there. But also, you know, there was a lot of bad stuff. You know, kind of the well-being yeah. You know, we it's were pressure, weighed. a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, and also we were weighed. At the, you know, oh. the girls were, I don't think the guys were, at the end of each week. And if you weren't a certain weight, then, you know, in the kind of um, where you had lunch, you were put on a special diet. You weren't allowed wow. things. You know, lots of girls were anorexic. So, yeah. you know, yes, it was amazing, but also not. <laughs> yeah, and we're actually, we're going to talk a little bit about, John wanted to talk about that too, about you, because you have some emotional support groups, um, not only for performers, but there's a lot of pressure. I mean, we've all experienced that. There's a lot of pressure to make a living. I mean, I know women have a certain pressure um, in the uh, in the arts with, like you said, with weight and appearance, mm -hmm. maybe not so much for right. men, but it's still there. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, let's, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I, I, um, I want to talk about also that you, um, you're a teacher at, the, and I always mess the name up, the British School of New Music. Is that the British Academy of New Music? See, I always mess it up. I know it's it's cool. So, <laughs> so tell tell us um, tell us about that because that's you had some very uh, people that have have gone on to become very famous, um, some students, and I I know that was considered a premier school in in the UK for for performing arts also. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been so fortunate with my teaching and it's another thing that I just fell in I fall into things you know apart from kind of singing well it's and kind preparation of meets I, opportunity I, <laughs> well I just fall into things and people are oh if you, you know do you want to try this and and I'm I can't say no to things uh, at all so I'm like yeah okay but I'm always honest I'm kind of like well, I've not done this before um but yeah teaching and I started that when I was um uh, now how old was I goodness I think I was 16 and I was um, trying to make a bit of extra money on the side. And I was a, an accomp a piano accompanist for a, ba a classical ballet school. Um, and um, one of the parents of the kids, and I say, I was like, maybe I was 15, 15 or 16. And one of the parents said, oh, yo, do you teach? And I remember going, what? I'm a child. It's like, no, I don't teach. Uh, and, and they were like, oh, no, yeah, I'd really love you to, you know, it would just you know, show her a few things. And I'd, I'd completely laughed it off in a kind of like, that's ridiculous. And then a friend of mine said, well, you pick up a bit of extra money, you know, give it a go. And that's how I started teaching and kind of, you know, word spread. And I, I kind of ended up. I think I had 50 private students at one point wow. uh, for piano and singing, you know, how word kind of gets out. But, but I realized that I did have a, a passion for, for helping people ultimately. Um, right. And then kind of, you know, went to a college uh, as a part-time tutor and then ended up um, kind of head of the department uh, and long story short, ended up at the British Academy of New Music. Um, but I think the variety of students, which is, uh, is fascinating because at the British Academy, which sounds prestigious and kind of all fancy and you've kind of say, well, Ed Sheeran went there, yeah. Rita Ora well, went it there. It is, it is prestigious. <laughs> but, well, it but, is, but, but you know but, what? But it was part of your life. So I, I understand that. It is. But, but I think that the key thing about there is, um, the kids that were there, and they were all over 16, the mm. majority of these students mm -hmm. were people who had no family support, yeah. no money, kind of very hard upbringing, you know, and I had lots of students, for example, that were in gangs, you know, wow. and there was knife crime. I mean, it, it wasn't pretty, but yeah. the common thing they had was music. 
you know, and maybe they weren't going to have a career in it, but that was the one thing (laughs) that they had a passion for and that motivated them, you know, and your Eds and Rita's and so on. They already had that. Yeah, you know, they already had that thing. They didn't actually need. <laughs> well, it's, it's so you know, and it's so really. important for for young people. I mean, it happened. I mean, I think maybe with John too, but like for me, um, music sort of saved me in a way because you know mm-hmm. I had a kind of a little bit of a tough uh, family thing when I was younger, and I got you know my self confidence. Like I, I learned a lot of really great lessons from from being um, a musician, from being in high school band and drum corps, all these other things that I did. And John, what's your thought of that? Like, yeah, you kind it, of experienced that too, right? Although the, your dad, your dad's only, awesome too. <laughs> the only thing, yeah, the only thing that that when I was in school, the only thing that I gravitated toward, I was I was not a great student. Like from first to sixth grade, sure, it was great, but after that, I kind of lost interest in in most subjects. And it was the arts that saved me when I got into high school. It was mm. uh, marching band first, and that kind of fell by the wayside. But theater after that, and the theater is kind of where like a lot of kids I found my spot and I found my tribe right and that propelled me through college I went to a theater uh, conservatory for college but always played music and then studied privately but that was where I kind of found my place and I could say I suppose for better or for worse mostly for better I I I think because the lessons I learned even though I didn't continue as an actor the lessons I learned from that education uh i take with me to to everything i do i find myself applying those lessons and those those um uh that background to to everything now so it really did carry through it, I mean, the skills you learn under the heading, if you like, of creative arts, whether it's a career thing or not, are, are incredible. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. a powerful tool, you know, whether right. it's confidence and, you know, whether you're just giving a presentation in an office or whether you're, you know, reciting a monologue, you know, on the stage, yeah. you know, confidence is, is key and community. Right. And that's, I think, and you know yeah. this from theatre work, that, that sense of belonging. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and committing also, to whatever you're doing, committing to whatever the the project is, or whatever your 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 thing is, you know. Yeah, discipline. To that and seeing it through. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's something I have to say it does annoy me quite often. People outside of of our industry think that kind of performing arts is all kind of frilly and kind of you know famous. Flighty and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, do you know how hard we work? Um, yeah. But the discipline, and I remember when I was little doing shows and I remember being terrified of the directors and that we all had to sit still and if we said a word, you'd be thrown out. I mean, that was real, you know? Right, and is it that right. film? Is it Whiplash? Yes, Whiplash. Whiplash yeah, right. Absolutely. And I know people talk Ter- about that, that but I'm sorry. <laughs> but for me, that's true. I have been right. with people people like that you know mm-hmm. um so right. you know it's a hard industry but yeah the things it brings you are, are kind of incredible right yeah. let's talk about um so you becoming a writer but also um I, you were at the school for many years and then you decided you made a big decision a big life-changing decision to really go after your dream of being a jazz vocalist composer um tell us like what was how did that come about? I mean, obviously you were always doing that, but but what made you make that final decision to sort of break the tie with the school and move on and, and do your own thing? Well, yeah, so I'd always I'd always been doing because I um uh, I stopped my theater work uh, or kind of the performance side of things because I had um 
uh, I had a son. I have two sons now, but kind of uh, that took a, um, that made me change direction. Yeah. And they're um, lovely. As, they're lovely guys too. I love my babies. Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, that forced me to kind of change direction. So rather than doing the kind of, you know, performance side, I, I was looking at more the behind the scenes of working as a session musician, doing choreography. Cause of course it's all I could do <laughs> was, was, you know, I did, didn't think I had any other skills. So it was kind of, okay, how else can I, you know, earn an income and kind of do this but without being on the stage and kind of being you know incredibly fit as a dancer and so on um so so I've always been doing things like that and, and as I say the teaching um but um yeah the company it changed owners and um I just wasn't how do I say this professionally I wasn't in agreement with where they the direction they wanted to take uh yeah. <laughs> the, the college in um you know I I, I teach um, because I want to help and I want to support and I want to see kind of, you know, people achieve or believe they can achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. Right. Um, it's for me, you don't get into education to make money. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's better uh, industries. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of better ways of making money. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's not, you know. And um, so those discussions uh, and a few other things, which is probably um, not right to really go into detail, but I decided it was the time for change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, yeah, so I resigned. Wow. And, I, and I just resigned without a plan. And I do that. I think about things. So I don't act rashly, but once something's in my head, I'll give it a few days and then I'll do it or, yeah. or not do it. Um, so I'd kind of made this decision on the Friday that, no, do you know what? That I'm going to move on and then thought about it. And then Monday I resigned. Um, but yeah, I had no plan at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, and I had, I think I, I was paid for kind of three months um so I kind of oh well I've got three months to kind of sort you know sort out what I'm doing and kind of I suppose I should look for another job and then someone said to me about a month afterwards someone I used to work with said oh you know so I I take it you're doing your music now then and I'm like yes that's what I'm supposed (laughs) to be doing honestly because I didn't immediately leave to kind of go right this is one and and people say that but yeah I left because I was unhappy where I was I had no plan um yeah so for about a month and yeah he just said well I take it you'll do your music and I'm like yeah do you know what (laughs) that's exactly what I should be doing and then yeah so then I kind of um I'd already recorded an album but I hadn't done anything with it Uh so I thought well you know what let me release this while I work on another one uh and take it take it from there and then it all kind of uh yeah it all went crazy yeah because your your albums um have all won a number of awards mm. especially this latest one um and how you have i think you have four out currently i have right? four yes i have yeah four. um and then you're these are all um i know you're uh producing co-producing um with as a jibby your guitarist right i produced all of them except the first one Oh, okay. Um, but, but I record at Jibby Studio. Right. And I actually, I mean, I, that's something I told you uh, when we first met after listening to your first album that I really love. I mean, the production is really neat. It's, it's, I, I get the feeling like I'm in a small jazz club in France and, you know, the 30s. It's very intimate. The albums feel very organic. Um, and we and John were actually just talking about that because yeah. he was, he was checking it out too. And John, yeah. what were your, what were your an, thoughts there, about There's an immediacy to the sound. Like, yeah. like I, I was listening to, this this could be my favorite album title of all time, Fierce and Non-Compliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just I I adore that. And Thank you. that that record has such a great uh impact. It has a very impactful sound and an immediate sound. I'm assuming you all did it live in in one room. Is that is that no, correct? 
No, yeah. and but, but thank you for your kind words. No, um, what I do, and I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm working on my next one. Uh, and, and I was thinking, well, should I do it the same as I always do it? And part of me was like, oh, I'd quite like to do something different. But then also I was like, but what I've done before has worked. Um, no, I, I layer it up. So mm. I record the drums first. Okay. Uh, so Marley, my drummer, will do the drums, you know, for all the tracks completely on his own. And then Derek will come and do the bass. And then I wow. build it up like that. Uh, and I love that process. And I don't know whether mm. that's the, the composer part of me um, thinking about different layers, but also the importance of, of each instrument, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but no, I layer it all, all up. So it's quite interesting the way, and I know not many people do yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that because you, it does sound like you're literally You would have known, yeah. yeah. I, I would have guessed that it was all right, like I did. It was all in in the room because it has this great live feel and energy to it. So oh, that's good. a credit no, I'm to glad. the players and the production. Yeah, I'm yeah. so honestly the musicians I work with. I'm so, they're the the most wonderful humans ever. How, how, how did you? Uh, yeah, because you actually so the, the the guys that are playing with you and I, I've seen you in London. Um, I guess now maybe a couple of times playing yeah. live. Uh, Pizza Express was one of you them. Took, that... You took photos at one of the gigs. Some fabulous <laughs> photos. Yeah, we've been having a lot of we've had a lot of creative fun. Actually, hopefully after the COVID thing, we'll get we'll get back to London, but uh, and and hang out. But um, how, how did you first put your band together? What was that process for you? Uh, oh gosh, and they've I all been with you a long time, too, I should mention. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. I, do you know I think I've never really thought about that. They're, um, well, Marley, uh, my drummer, GB guitarist, and, and Derek, my bassist, um, were my students. So they uh -huh. were all at the British uh -huh. Academy. Um, so no, no pressure for them. <laughs> I know, um, but but They're I still think, being graded after all this time. <laughs> I know, I don't. Well, and the thing is, and Derek may or may not listen to this. And there's the funniest video when I did, I think my second album, we did an album launch, and I had someone doing some behind the scenes, and he was asking all my musicians, so what's it like working with V? You know, and Derek just said, "I'm terrified of her. She scares the shit out of me." <laughs> And then he burst into it and he said, but yeah, but she's lovely too, but she scares the shit out of me. But you know what? But you know what you're doing. Exactly. You know exactly what you're doing. So. <laughs> but it was funny because music, it was like, music. I'm not your teacher anymore, Derek. Right. So, um, but yeah, they're amazing guys. And, and, and I think, you know, for me, whoever I work with, and I guess this ultimately is probably why I asked them to work with me, is it's they, they get it, but in the right way. They love the music. They are decent human beings. Um, uh, and they have the kind of same mindset as me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how to explain that properly. Because and, and I love what they all bring. They all bring something different to the table. So Jibby, for example, um, who is phenomenal. And he has many other projects. And in fact, um, Daryl, you know, uh, his Joseph uh, Lawrence in the Garden uh, yeah. project and, right. and Ashani. I, I mean, Jibby, um, uh, so it's his studio. He produces, he writes. I mean, he's a phenomenal talent, hugely inspired by Prince. He's also Italian. Yeah. So there's that kind of influence. And then Marley has a huge, he loves jazz and reggae. 
Uh, and uh, so he brings these incredible influences. Uh, Derek is kind of more traditional jazz. He kind of knows all the jazz standards more. Um, they, all, they all bring an incredible element. And I think that's the thing for me why I talk about them so much because yes, I write the stuff and yes, I arrange it. But for me, it's, it's kind of how we all work together um, and not just musically, just the, the vibe. We have so much fun. Your band so is too. Fun. It's a bit of a United Nations because you have influences from, I mean, where, where are the guys? I mean, it, it, it's, I actually, I love that, mm -hmm. that you have different influences. Where are the guys from? Are they all from London or are they just from, well, they're they all different from London. But. Yeah, they're all from London, but yeah, they absolutely, yeah, kind of literally across the world. And again, of course that wasn't intentional, but when you, yeah. you know, when you look back, cause I've had people say to me, well, look at the diversity of your band. And I'm like, for real. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's great. But, yeah. yeah, but but again, I love that organic thing because it was just like, you know, Marley, you're a great drum. I'd love it if you'd work with me. And he was like, yes, Fee, I'm in. Uh, you know, that was kind of one of the, that's how it happened. And then yeah. when you build it up, um, yeah, honestly, I love them to bits. I would be terrified if any of them ever said they couldn't work with me anymore, like truly. Yeah, and I think um, all those guys, I mean, I know, well, you did a video with, with your bass player that actually went viral, right? It has quite a few... What was a hundred thousand yeah. views or something crazy, right? Yeah, we did two part of the live sessions because um, I love working with Derek and obviously he does um, uh, upright as well as uh, electric. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it's kind of for an acoustic thing, it works really well, just vocal and, and bass. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Derek, mm -hmm. um, he um, he's so good. Yeah, anything I ask him to do, he's there. You know, I'll text him and go, oh, do you fancy recording? I said, yes, when? Yeah, he's yeah, a sweet, he's, really he's, sweet guy. He's so yeah. lovely. Uh, and um, yeah, so I was, uh, you know, because uh, my vocals work really well in church environments the acoustics um so i and i love the freedom of singing in places like that so i kind of wanted to do a live recording uh and it just worked really well uh with bass so yeah we did a couple of those and yeah i think on facebook one of them got like three hundred and fifty thousand views it was yeah, crazy which is yeah and for jazz too which is not that's not for the common thing yeah that's no. awesome yeah <laughs> what i like about your records too you know like it's jazz it's traditional jazz but it's it's a really good mix there's some latin stuff there's some uh, some people would say maybe almost world music um, I love the the, the diversity also of, of of that. Tell us about the current project, your 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 new record. Um, well, I've just started working on my new album. What I've recently just done was this live sessions project, um, and with lockdown. So I recorded um, in March, which was just before um, the UK lockdown. It was literally oh, okay. three three days before. And at the time, I just wanted to do some acoustic recordings and we did two songs. Um, so I had those and I didn't do anything with them. And then we had this lockdown. And then in July, the studio that I rehearsed at opened up again. And it was like, oh, oh. Thank, thank goodness it's open. But of course, there's no, no venues, there's no gigs. Right. So it, it was amazing that the studio was opened, but it was kind of like, right, well, I need to, I need to do something. So I just kind of booked, you know, the, the, the big room, the live room that they have in there. And I texted the guys and said, oh, yeah, I've, I've booked the studio. Do you want to get together and, yeah, maybe we'll do some live stuff and film it or something? And they were like, we haven't played, you know, since January. We're yeah, in. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know, I know exactly how that Honestly, is. Honestly, <laughs> they were like, anything, you know. So I was like, right. oh, great. And then kind of mentioned it to Warren, uh, who... Um, uh, he does a bit of percussion for me, but he's been um, uh, doing the videos for me now. And again, actually one of my past students. And I said to him, I saw Arnie, I was thinking about recording something. And he's like, I'm in. And it became this massive project. <laughs> um, and um, so I was like, oh, okay. And I, I thought, okay, I want to, I want to make this really worthwhile for everybody because we just want to play, yeah. you know? So this wasn't about marketing for me or content for me or 
any of that. It was like, we just want to play. But I also thought, well, I may as well record it and do something with it. So I kind of, you know, thought, well, let's just film it. And I chose the songs that I knew we all enjoyed playing, but for different reasons. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, the evidence suggests I know that that's one of Jibby's favorite songs to play on the guitar. Right. And you see it in his face in the video. <laughs> you, you see it. It's like, that's why I chose that song. Awesome. Um, so I chose songs that I knew everybody had a particular connection with, but also I didn't want to do too many slow, depressing things. Um, right. I thought I would just want to do some of the fun stuff. So, yes, yeah, so I picked, I think it was seven songs uh, and we had this epically long day. And it was really funny because we turned up and say no one had played since January. And Lauren, who's my saxophonist, and Dave, who plays trumpet, um, they said, oh, 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 can, can we play them at least once through before we start recording? Because, of course, none of us had played. We were like, yeah, hang on. See if, see if I can remember how to play. <laughs> right, yeah, there's right. like lights everywhere and cameras. And we were like, oh, this would be great. you know. And then suddenly it was like, oh, shit, hang on a sec. You're filming this and you're going to release it. And it's like, could we at least play it through? And it was like, of course. But we just played everything once. So we played one song, then oh. filmed it. One song, then filmed it. Because, you know... I, I didn't want it to feel like a project. I just wanted to play. So I didn't want to get tied up in the stuff that you do if it was like a proper video shoot. You know, I just want to let's play and let's film it. Let's have fun. Um, And then after that, so I had kind of those seven songs and then the two I did in the church in March. uh, And my PR guy, Eric Alper, was messaging him. He said, well, yeah, what what are you doing? And I said, well, I've actually got, you know, nine live videos that kind of I was thinking well I can release one and then release another one I keep me going for a bit while there's no gigs and he said well why don't you just like release it as like a video album and I was like okay then (laughs) so yeah so in September I released this kind of live live sessions album um which yeah has got all the live stuff so that's the the recent thing I that um, I did yeah um sorry I'm waffling I could do that yeah, you tell time. me to shut up when you. No, no, no. I, I actually, I mean, that's that's part. We want to know your story. Mm-hmm. I, I love. I mean, I love the fact that um, those guys are are great guys. They're great players. Um, you can feel their energy that they love playing with you live and also on the records. Um, you know, and like you said, like when somebody is playing stuff that they dig and your music is really fun, it's challenging. You can really feel that in the musicians. You can get the you get that vibe right. Oh, off it's so it's so important, and that's one thing for me when. You know, when I go and see performances, and I'm terrible for this, that you know, if, if I don't get it, if I don't feel it right from the word go, then I'm gone. You know, that, that immediate connection, uh, it has to be real. And I think certainly from a vocalist point of view, and again, kind of with my, my training and, and training other people, it's so, there's so many singers out there that are pretending. Right. Uh, you know, they don't really know themselves yet. And yeah, you oh, yeah, sense, it's not, you can right. sense that. Right? Yeah, it's not necessarily a criticism, but for me, I think for all my training in the theater, and you know this, John, for if you trained in acting, you said, I think, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know that you spend all this time where you have to analyze yourself and do all that and then pretty much forget that and completely become someone else. You know, so, you know, there is a place for being someone else and pretending and all that. Um, but for me in music, it has to be real. I, you know, mm. I want to see that that is you, yeah. you know, and that every word you're singing, I think that's a common thing in singing that, you know, singers don't understand the words. It's like, right. you're telling me you're in yeah. love with this or you love this. I said, but do you, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> you do you know, really mean it? <laughs> do you really? <laughs> so I'm terrible for that. So for me, it's about, it has to be real. 
And that's what I get with the amazing musicians I work with. They, they feel it and, and you can see that, you know, if yeah. you, if they feel it, we will all feel it, you know? Yeah. I think, um, that's that's awesome thing about you and you bring that you bring that out in the guys and i mean obviously i think that's part of where your teacher aspect comes in because you know how to bring the best out of out of people i don't want to call them students because they're not your students anymore but, um, <laughs> uh, so t- tell us about um so how we first met actually um is through music and 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 then ultimately um excuse me let me, let me wipe my nose <laughs> um yeah so we actually fr- met through music and mutual friends and um Tell me about your writing, because you've become quite um, a well-known writer, um, journalist, uh, and and we, when I actually did our, we did a live interview in London at Jibby Studio, uh, Facebook Live, and that actually led to me writing for Jazz in Europe, um, although I'm nowhere near the writer that you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm more of an interviewer, which is a little, diff- <laughs> a little different, but um, uh, so tell me, tell me about that journey. Like, did you always have a passion for writing, and, and, and how did that come about? See, this is another example of how these things just happen. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm just so fortunate that these opportunities come my way. So, um, no, I'd never thought about writing at all. Um, I mean, I'd worked, obviously, in kind of academia. So I'd done kind of, I've done some of that kind of writing. But, no, I'd, I'd never considered writing. And Nigel, the um, owner at Jazz and Europe, contacted me and kind of said, oh, yeah, I'd if you thought about doing some reviews, I'd, you know, I'd love you to do some reviews. And I was, oh, I've never done that before. Look, I'm not a writer, I'm a musician. Uh, and he said, no, that's what we, we'd quite like is actually have a musician's point of view. So not, uh, you know, an academic or a kind of critic or just, you know, a musician. And I said, well, that, I'll give it a go. Um, so I did a couple of CD reviews and I thought, oh yeah, this, yeah, this I quite like doing this. And then they asked me to interview someone and I particularly like that because for me, that was, I was finding out about that person, you know, what they were doing, how they did it and kind of that experience and sharing their story with the world. Um, and I sort of thought, you know, actually, I really enjoy this. And, and as is my way, if I'm going to do something, I'm kind of like, I'm going to do it properly. Um, so I wrote a list of people I thought would be cool to interview. And it was, to be honest, a list of, of people that I respected and kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? There was no other thought into it. Yeah, it was just like, oh, here's my hero. It all, so I wrote this list, you know, and Steve Gadd was the first one on the list. So I did some research, you know, tried to find, uh, you know, PR and so on. And just sent some emails. Oh, hi, I'm a writer for Jazz in Europe. So I'd only done three articles at this point. I'm a writer for Jazz in Europe. I'd love to interview Steve Gadd, right? And he replied, I got a reply. Yeah, that would be great. And it's like, no, 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 what? <laughs> Seriously. Isn't that, isn't that, I know that's funny, right? When they I, actually I like, respond, no, no. they go, oh. <laughs> I know, because I was like, no, no, look, you, it's me. I'm not. <laughs> so, um, Speaking so, from, from North Greenwich. I know, I'm like, I don't think, you don't really want me to interview you. And um, so, yeah, so I interviewed Steve Gadd. Sorry. Was it, I'm sorry, was it him that replied or was it his people? Oh, that no, replied? it was his people that replied. Yeah, sorry, oh, okay. yeah, it was his, his people that replied. No, 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 that would have been wonderful either way. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was his people that replied. And um, yeah, so I had this amazing chat, but then suddenly I was like, I'm interviewing Steve Gadd. Oh my God. And I was also the drummers I know, they're going to, like, if I don't do this right, <laughs> Exactly. No pressure. Seriously, <laughs> if I don't do this right, I will. Oh, so I messaged uh, all the drummers that I was kind of friends with. I was huh. texting, and I was just like, "I'm interviewing Steve Gadd. 
<laughs> what would you ask him? You know, and they kind of laughed and, and I had all these variety of questions and I kind of took oh, all of them imagine. on board. It's actually yeah. really smart though, because well, it's like, it's you and you admitting like, Hey, I don't know everything. And I don't know this job. Well, and I think someone, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing with someone like Steve Gadd. I mean, he is the, the drum legend, you know, and I, you know, I think of all the different instruments I am quite, um, connected with drums and kind of I've spent a lot of time with drummers that's another story um <laughs> so I, I know oh, now, quite, now, you, now you've opened up a Pandora's no, 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 no. box <laughs> <laughs> we're singers and drummers it's a thing yeah. um so um so I I think I I I was comfortable that I knew quite a bit but also that I knew what I didn't know um so yes yeah, so I spoke to all the drummers and got all their feedback and and it was great, all the questions. I mean, some were silly and I didn't ask some of them, but, you know, and it was like one of them was like, can I just kiss, you know, just say, can I kiss you? <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> you, well, you know, Steve Gadd, he's, he is an absolute you know, a legend. Yeah, and he, and he's, a, he's known to be a very nice guy too. Oh, is, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, so I interviewed him and he's on, he, the loveliest guy ever. And I think for me as an interviewer, and you hear all these stories about different personalities. And I'm thinking, well, so yeah, Steve, you know, Steve Gaddy's up there. I wonder if he's going to be a bit of an asshole or is he going to be a bit arrogant? You know, well, you yeah, don't you know. Never, you never know how that's Yeah, so be. I was yeah. ready. I was kind of thinking, right, you know, but honestly, he was the, the loveliest guy ever. Um, so I did this amazing interview. And then, because uh, he was playing at Ronnie Scott's that week as well. And then yeah, he said, London, oh, do, you, yeah. do, mm-hmm. do you want some tickets to come and see me at the show? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and we know. should and we should just say that even get, getting tickets at Ronnie Scott's is like hard to do to begin with. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Steve Gatt said, do you yeah. want to come and see the show? And it's like, yeah. Um, so I had these two tickets. And again, I was like, well, I have to take my drummer. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know, I I have to take. So I texted mine and I was like, I've got a free ticket. Do you want to meet Steve Gadd? And he's like, yes, fee. <laughs> and bless him. I've got, and it was the loveliest moment. And I think this is what I love about what I'm able to do with the platforms I have. So, you know, the, the gig, of course, was amazing. We were at the bar at the back. We're, and, and Marley was kind of like, you know, uh, transfixed as we as we were both were. Uh, and Steve Gadd came up to us at the end and, you know, and, and, and we chatted. And I said, look, I said, forgive me, because you, you could sense these drummers everywhere. You know, there was like, and I'm sure it's the same with bassists. And everything. I could the drum, sense. The drum vibe like, was strong. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, OK, there's a room full of drummers here and they're all firstly wondering who I am talking to Steve Gadd but also like can you hurry up so we can you know get a selfie yeah. um and I said to Steve I said don't forgive me I said but I said I brought my drummer with me you know please, may I introduce you and he was like of course you can and they had the loveliest chat but what I thought was really lovely was that you could tell with Steve and this wasn't a negative at all I was obviously a journalist you know, I was there to, you know, he knew me as, you know, not as a musician, not as a, a friend or colleague. I, you know, I was an interviewer, but Marley was a, just a drummer. Yeah. And you could see this kind of. The brotherhood. Mental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like he shook Come his away. hand and it was like, it was, it was quite amazing. And they, they immediately started chatting about, you know, kind of rhythms. And I can't remember exactly because I stood away. I thought, well, you yeah, know, this is their moment, <laughs> I, you know. But they were chatting away, uh, and it was Steve that said, "Do you want a selfie? Oh. Yeah, do you want do you yeah. want a photo?" Because Marley wouldn't have asked, you right. know. And Steve said, "Do you want a photo?" And Marley was kind of like, "Oh, yeah, if you don't mind, you know." And they've got this <laughs> loveliest photo. That moment there, you know, me being able to ha- let that moment happen meant the world to me. And even in the memories on you know, my photos, when it comes up, I kind of look at the photo of Marley and Steve, and I'm like, "Oh, 
you do. Yeah, and Marley is such a sweet guy, and he's a oh great, my... he's a great drummer too. Oh, yeah. he's amazing, and yeah, he like genuinely one of the the kindest souls I think you'll ever meet. Yeah. Well, what's I, 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 one of the people that um, and John don't let me <laughs> don't let me take hog all the time, but uh, uh, one of the uh, great stories I know is you become friends with uh, Maxine Gordon, oh. right? And and she lives in uh, which is Dexter Gordon's uh, widow. Right, and she yeah. lives in Paris. How how did that first happen? It was, I know it was through journalism, but oh, but see, this is what I mean: is these things just happen, and people quite often think, "Well, you must have this plan." I have no plan, uh, and I never <laughs> plan ahead. You know, and I hate it when people say, well, "What's the five year plan?" I'm like, I just want to live to tomorrow, like, yeah. <laughs> like you know. Um, but yeah, Matt, so so after I uh, kind of interviewed Steve Gadd, I was like, "Oh, okay, right." So I'm I'm doing serious interviews now, and so that suddenly kind of made you know I kind of stepped up a gear unintentionally um so uh and so I found Maxine Gordon online so I'd not met her I didn't really know much about her but kind of uh, cause I was given this women in jazz, um, series on jazz in Europe. Cause I wanted to f- focus on kind of, um, gender, uh, inequality and balance and so on. Uh, and I did some research I'm like, oh, this woman looks amazing. Um, and again, I was like, well, I'll send an email, but I didn't think, you know, that, you know, uh, she would reply or anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she replies, uh, and she said, yes, I, yeah, I've actually, I'm just releasing a new book about Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, happy to interview, but I'm in Paris at the moment. <laughs> I was like, I'll come to Paris. Exactly. To I Paris. Mean, that's the great thing about being in London. That's not that far away, right? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> not a problem. Because she spends about, well, used to, um, pre-COVID, she would spend about three months, three, four months of each year in Paris. She goes there every year. Um, so, um, but it's just the first interview, and still to this day, actually, that I've ever felt nervous about. Because I did a bit more research, obviously, before, um, before I met her. And I'm like this you know this woman she's a she's quite a force right (laughs) my goodness I mean you know so many different things uh you know the experiences her life I mean you know and when you talk to her she'll go on miles this and Ella this and you kind of just you know and it's not a kind of well it's honestly just well you know the other day you know miles she's not name dropping that was just her life yeah exactly so you know that alone and then also you know she became a researcher you know when she was writing this book about Dexter she was like I need to know more about researching so she, she did like qualificate you know she studied I mean she's just phenomenal so she was the first person I kind of actually felt nervous about because I'm like I can't mm. fuck this up I'm like <laughs> you know and I felt I, I mean I'm all I think in some ways I'm I feel always unprepared because there's always more that you could know but I was well, kind and, of like, and people like that you know actually uh, our friend Nigel who is the uh, well I guess the editor-in-chief for, for Jazz in Europe um you know uh, we, and that's actually from our interview that's how I ended up being with Jazz in Europe and mm. the first interview and I, I'm thinking like ah they're gonna start me off easy the first interview was with Bobby Santabria who's a 10-time Grammy nominee yeah. guy. <laughs> it was like known yeah. as a jazz historian and I'm like holy shit and like I did yeah. my I did my research but where do you start with guys like that or Dexter well, exactly. Gordon? I mean, it's so and, much history. Yeah. Crazy. And you can't blag it. That's the thing. It's like, you can't blag it. Yeah. Um, so I was a bit <laughs> nervous, but yeah, she said, oh, we'll meet in this cafe. So it was like this, it was like something out of a film for me that kind of, I was wandering mm. down this kind of gorgeous Parisian kind of road. And we went into this gorgeous cafe and there was noise everywhere. And of course I was recording it on my phone. And then I was worried <laughs> that you wouldn't be able to hear it. I'm like, I'm never going to remember this thing. Um, and it turned out, that you know, for her book, she was only accepting interviews from female journalists and African American wow. journalists, and oh, no one else. Wow. 
Interesting. And I was the first person to interview her for this new book. Wow. Oh, that's great. So, wow. so it was this kind of a, oh, and we've become, um, I think friends, I don't want to, you know, but she, you know, we, we email often. Um, we've done quite a few. She did a book launch in London and I went and filmed that and, you know, kind of we had dinner and um, yeah, she has become such a hero to me. And to the extent that every time I write an article, I think, what would Maxine think? Yeah. In the back of my head, you know, I think would Maxine, and it's not an approval thing, but it's like, am I saying what I think Maxine would expect me to say yeah but she's you know the thing is she, she's she's no joke i mean she's been around that her whole life she she's, knows all those guys she she's seen and, and probably done a million interviews herself she's yep. seen she's seen people have to do that and then like you know that's something that i as an interviewer that's something i try to do is not ask the typical questions that these guys yes. all that's, get asked well that's the challenge isn't it and that's what i found tricky actually with steve gab because of course everyone asks the same questions yeah uh, right. and you what don't was like to play with so and so and so yeah but I think also with that, though, you do kind of have to ask some of those, because if you're reading an article, some people do want to know the answers to those questions. So you can't right. completely dismiss some of that. So it's a challenge sometimes, isn't it, to come up with that balance of the stuff everyone wants to know, but also you want to delve a bit deeper or kind of bring something you know, fresh to the table. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. you say that, because I know a lot of people, I was I was on an earlier Zoom call and with some tax bonus. And um, a couple of them, a lot of the time, a lot of times in my experience, the last thing they want to do is talk shop in, in yeah. many instances, they would rather talk about anything other than like, uh, who was it? It was the, um, uh, Kirk Whalem, the, the tenor, tenor sax bonus. Yeah. He's, he's at the last, he says, you can ask me anything. But really, the last thing I want to talk about is mouthpieces and read <laughs> yeah. and yeah. hear. I'll talk about anything else with you. But if you absolutely have to know, okay. But otherwise, yeah. you know, let's let's stay away from this. So how do you find the end to that as the interviewer? How do you find the end to those interesting questions or those off the beaten path? Does it is it something that comes organically or yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say it's all planned, but honestly, nothing I do is planned. I, I, I'm so right. fortunate. I mean, I do an awful lot of research. And I think as my, because I still consider myself a very new writer. You know, I've only been doing this um, three years four three four maybe four but anyway not long so I still consider myself an incredibly new writer I'm still learning I still haven't got a clue what I'm doing so I do <laughs> a, an insane amount of research and and I think with each person I interview that becomes more in depth and I also mm. think about it from different angles um you know I think to start with it was like okay you know, what is the career what is the music about some of the standard stuff but then it's kind of like but you know what are you about you know, what are you trying to say to other people? You know, what, mm -hmm. what, you know, what are you trying to communicate? And, and also that's the look core at the, of it all, right? Beyond uh, yeah. the technique, beyond the, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so I, uh, uh, so I try wherever possible to delve into that. And I think, and I don't have any kind of key questions I ask. I really, mm. I, I go with the flow, but do try and direct it in to get the artist to, to kind of open up as much as, I think they want to, as far as their artistry is concerned, mm -hmm. yeah. if that makes sense. Are there, and I would imagine there are some artists that would rather go in one direction than, than the other, where they want to stick with this, you know, the, the work as opposed to who, as opposed to what led you to the work. Do you find that in some cases? 
Yeah, I think I've had a few people that I think were expecting a standard kind of tell us about the album and kind of the standard mm-hmm. questions. Um, and you can tell that's what they're prepared for. But then when right. I steer off into a different avenue, they was well, in my experience so far, I'm sure there'll be some that won't go very well. In fact, maybe if we do this in a couple of years time again, I'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> You know, the second time um, I talked to yeah. Steve Gadd, it was exactly. yeah. The second time, what an asshole! Yeah, that's not true. He's not. Yeah, no. Um, but they do sometimes seem surprised, but also I think welcome to that conversation. So I recently interviewed um, Hypnotic Brass, who I hadn't heard of. There's this great kind of brass ensemble, and there's oh god, I'm going to get it wrong. There's seven or eight of them. They're all brothers, um, and they come from a traditional kind of jazz standard type of family. But what they do is mix hip hop with jazz. Mm. Um, and, and they've been around quite a while, actually, and I, I felt a bit ashamed that I hadn't known about them. Um, but I just figured, and it didn't say this anywhere, but I just figured if they've come from this kind of traditional jazz standard family, but they're mixing hip hop, then I bet there's some issues um, about the jazz police and kind of, well, is this jazz and hip hop doesn't right. have, you know. So I was immediately like, well, I need to get to the, you know, I need to ask about that. And I, mm. and I did. And then that kind of had, we had this amazing conversation about what is jazz and, you know, respecting the legacy, but welcoming the mm-hmm. new. So, yeah, I kind of, I think I, from a research, I just try and work out what I think the artist might want to say, really, mm-hmm. you know, what is actually behind their artistry. And, and where possible, um, steer out. I mean, the only time it kind of hasn't worked or kind of worked, but not, was when I interviewed Dee Dee Bridgewater, which, oh. which was the other one I was kind of like, because she is, again, one of my heroes. She's Fine intimidating, enough, yeah. And she's yeah. like best, she's best friends with Maxine as well, which is oh. interesting. They oh, know wow. each other, yeah, a formidable pair. Um, but I interviewed her uh, and she wanted to talk about uh, a lot of the kind of uh, racist issues around the world. Uh, and and I, w- I won't say them now because she gave very specific examples yeah. of many different issues down to people, <laughs> clubs. And it was incredible because, you know, it was this really passionate, quite right to, to, to talk about conversation. Mm-hmm. But I said, said to Nigel afterwards, I said, look, this is amazing, but tell me now because I don't want to write all this up. excuse me I don't want to write all this up and then you go fee I can't print that which I thought is what would happen and he said yeah yeah use your judgment he said but yeah I can't you know so so I couldn't include a lot of the great stuff and for me that was Mm. a great conversation I would have loved to but you have to respect the platform if they don't want to get in yeah they don't want to engage in because and And again it's, it's tricky right it is, and, and this is not just the occasional subtle comment. This was full on, you know, and, and as I say, but she was quite right in everything she said, but it was a dangerous conversation. That wasn't my responsibility to make that decision. That was down to kind of, you know, yeah, the, the magazine. So, so, so on that occasion, it was this great conversation and I completely, you know, she was opening up about everything, but actually I couldn't use half of it because it was just too, too, too much. So you file, you file away for your own, your own. Oh, I still got it all. Yeah. I, I wrote oh, it all great. out. It's amazing. You can, you, can save it for, you can save it for your book. <laughs> well, well, and here's the thing. Yeah. And I hate, I would have, it, you know, and this is no disrespect because I completely understand, you know, uh, publications and how they work. Uh, I would love to not have that barrier. I would love to actually have any type of conversation with any artist and genuinely just write about everything mm-hmm. they said. Yeah. yeah in, in my right. dream world. 
uh, that's what I would like to do. Uh, but I but I do understand that you know sometimes you can't. Yeah, it's tricky because some people are very opinionated, and it's great. Like you're, you're you're doing the interview, and you're thinking, "God, this is gold," but I'm probably not going to be able to use it. Yeah, the whole way she's saying all these things, and I'm like, "Oh, I can't print that." <laughs> like, oh, I can't print that, you know. Um, but but yeah, but mostly it kind of yeah. I I would honestly just go with the flow, and you know, I've just been very lucky with my guests. Um, you started well. You yeah. have first. First, you have women in jazz media. Tell us a little bit about that. Then you also have some emotional support groups that John wanted to ask you about. Okay, um, so women in jazz media again, class, classic fee move. This where I just suddenly had an idea and kind of thought, well, let's just go with it. And this was the end of November, um, and a few women we were talking about um, the lack of female journalists and writers. Um, and I looked, and I won't name, but I looked on a magazine, uh, and and sometimes you can click on the team, and it will show you who they are, like on, on Jazz in Europe. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's got the names, but there was one particular magazine that had pictures. Uh, and it had 52 writers. And I was like, wow. It was like this whole page, 52 writers and pictures of everybody. And I do this and I don't mean to do it, but I do this. I'm like, where are the women? <laughs> it's like this whole page. I'm like, uh, no. Oh, there, there's one. You know, honestly. Bad, yeah. And I didn't, and I don't mean to, uh, but, you know, but it's an automatic thing. And while there is this inequality and kind of imbalance, I probably will always do that, you know, until I don't have to, you know, if I see a picture that looks right, then you don't question it, you know? So yeah, so there was, you know, kind of, I think four women uh, in total mm. and there was only one black writer. Wow. And, I, and I just lost the plot because I see this all the time. <laughs> but for some reason, I think with conversations I'd had, I was like, no, do you know what? I've just, I've, I've had enough of this. Um, and I was like, but how do we get new writers? You know, it's all very well saying we need more right. women. You know, are they already out there, but we just don't know about it? Or, you know, do women just not think about it? So you know, all these different questions. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to start a Facebook page. I'll call it Women in Jazz Media. And so I set up this Facebook page uh, and then started doing a bit of research. And I thought, OK, well, what is this? What is, what is it I want to do? And I thought, well, actually, I, I want I want more women to be supported and promoted in jazz media and under jazz media. Obviously, it's not just writers, so you know, photographers, you know, anything under the heading of media. Because again, I could I could barely find any jazz female photographers. Mm. I was like, where are they? What's, what's that about? Presenters, everything. Um, so I thought, well, yeah, ideally, I want to support and promote women so that we know the ones that are out there. We know they're there, and they, you know, we shout about them, but also you know get some some collaboration from publications to kind of go yeah do you know what we don't have enough women we openly would like to have more women so we've got a gender balance and I think that's the key thing for me it's not this massive feminist kind of women need to rule the world yeah but they should be represented I want balance and equality and there isn't any in the jazz industry I mean it's white straight white male dominated and has been for for so long anyway so I set up this page and, um, and then I thought, well, let me email some kind of publications um, to see if they'd support. So then I had to come up with a mission statement. It, it, it all became, in a great way, kind of uh, very um, uh, full on and kind of like, oh, because, you know, I contacted the Jazz Times and they immediately were like, yes, we're happy to be your official supporter. And awesome. I contacted about 10 publications and they were all like, yes, here, here's our logo. And it's like, awesome. oh, okay. you know, um, so I've had all these amazing organizations and the page, mm-hmm. I think within three weeks had 750 likes. 
Wow. And you know, from a social media point of view, how hard, I mean, my artist page took me ages to get that. (laughs) And this was, you know, so this really showed me that there was a, there's a need for it. So, yeah. So we're, I'm working on a mentoring scheme uh, and we're doing some podcasts and yeah, there's loads of different plans. Sorry, I could waffle on about that for ages, but yes, that's how that started. I just thought, you know what, let me just set up a page. And suddenly I'm the founder of this new organization because the Jazz Journal, which interesting was one of the publications that I contacted about support said that they weren't happy to be an official supporter they, that they would like to support. Um, but yeah, they don't kind of, they didn't want to be an official supporter. Um, then wrote an article hmm. about it. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah. Which is, I think what helped it. So yeah. Yeah. There's, there's loads I could say about that. Did you, all. did you encounter any resistance from publications about, uh, uh, you know, I had, well, I won't say board? who it is. One. Oh, well, come on, tell us. You're, you're <laughs> name names. <laughs> That's, That's the goal. Yeah, come on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have one public, in fact, the publication I was talking about, interesting enough, that had, you know, a team of 50 writers and only a few women. They said um, that they'd like to have more women, but they don't, as a magazine, they don't support political movements. Uh, yeah. That's, that's okay. funny that that would be considered a political All right. movement. <laughs> well, you know, and again, as I do, because I do get feisty, but I'm very in control. So I looked at that email for quite some time uh, and then uh, ranted about it in my head uh and then i thought i'm going to reply tomorrow yeah that's a good <laughs> um, plan <laughs> uh, yeah and i do just like i do I, i'm human you know so i do get that you know but but i'm very controlled with it so i thought i'm not going to yeah. reply and i sent a kind of professional but i think to the point reply um along the lines of well that's very interesting that you consider gender equality a political movement you may <laughs> yeah, you exactly. may be alone right, <laughs> right. Yeah, bizarre, yeah. Right. yeah it's not the 1930s <laughs> Yeah, and I did put you maybe alone. <laughs> so, you know. Good, good for you. Good for well, you. you know, but that's the only one, you know. Uh, but okay. but also for me that highlighted, because of course this is the thing, you know, it's actually the women are already on board, you know. And this is what's great about this page. It's like, look, we're already there. We're ready. We're happy. We want to share. We'll do all that. But actually mm-hmm. it's men that we need to engage with right. or at least kind of look at why you know, there's not so many women in there. So it's, right. it's the men that I really want to kind of talk to and engage with. And they've been so incredibly supportive, I have to say, so far. That's great. John, you want to ask Considering they've been the gatekeepers for so long. Exactly. Yes. You know. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, John, you want to ask Fiona about the, you set up some support groups. I, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, as I was going through uh, your, your website and looking at stuff, I came across the um, uh, Insomniac Club and I, and I saw that, that it, I don't, I don't know if advocate is the right word, but you seem to be a, a, a champion of mental, uh, of mental health and wellness. Um, is considering where we are in the world now and what's going on, is that something that you started to direct to direct towards artists, or was that more of a general, you know, for everyone type of a type of a thing? Um, I think I've been surrounded by people who have mental health um, concerns my whole Mm -hmm. life in various different degrees. And I would say, and obviously most of the people I know are musicians or creatives in somewhere, I would hazard a guess that 70 to 75% of them all suffer from some degree of mental health uh, illness, whether it's mild depression to kind Mm. of, you know, to full on severe. And I think a couple of years ago, there was a a year before COVID, um, I knew someone who had committed suicide every month. Oh, wow. It was every month there was kind of like someone who'd gone. And and all the time it was like, 
either didn't even know they were suffering or mm. it was, yeah, I knew they were down. And I'm like, you know, I, I and I see that an awful lot. So I, I'm extremely passionate about trying to help that. But what I, I'm sick of doing, and again, this is my work in teaching and academia is, you know, we have to have those discussions, absolutely. But you know what? We also need to take some action. Um, mm. And there was this great survey a few years ago and Help Musicians UK, which is this really good organization, um, they did the first ever survey on mental health for musicians. Oh, wow. You know, and, and this had never been done before. And, and I do realize from a kind of um, business point of view how you, ne- you, know, you need that data. You know, there needs to be evidence. We, we all know kind of, you know, in the creative industry that there are well-being issues, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we kind of accept it. Um, so actually having data that goes, no, do you know what? This actually is an issue. And the data came back and I haven't got the figures on top of my head, but I, I think it showed that 80% of the UK music workforce suffered from mild to severe depression, for example. Wow. So this was really significant. But then, mm-hmm. and this is no disrespect for them, and they are still working on things. You know, a helpline was, was kind of developed. Brilliant. And mm-hmm. it's like... <laughs> you know what else can we do where do we go yeah yeah because it's like great we need that and as i say absolutely no disrespect we need these things but it's not enough is it because here's the thing if you're if you're at the stage where you thinking about ending your life you're not going to go do you know what let me phone up this helpline it's not you know so for me it's very much about kind of um that um that environment around everybody that we are genuinely mm-hmm. there to support and seeing the signs. And I do this right. all the time. And, and some people will tell me I'm wrong to do so, but I, I don't care. Whoever it is, if I see someone on social media that to me sounds like a comment that worries me, I'll message them, you know, and they may go, you know, yeah, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. you know or they might open up and that's yeah that has happened that I've said look yeah I don't mean to pry just are you okay I you yeah your comment worried me just want to check you're okay and sometimes right. I will then have a whole kind of you know history of actually no I'm not okay I'm thinking this 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 but for me right. it's something you know and I can't just look at all these things happening and not do anything so right. so I've been very passionate and so I've experienced lot, lots of it uh, um so the insomnia club what what's really good about that is it's um and it's still lots of things kind of working on it, but it's a variety of different resources looking at how we can support mental health, but creatively. So there's mm. music, yeah, there's artwork, there's there's videos, you know, there's helplines, there's kind of it's looking at a variety of ways rather than here's you know, here's a document with some mental health facts. And right, here's yeah. a spreadsheet, you know, maybe listening to this playlist might help to get your, you know, your mind mm-hmm. in a better place, you know, and, and for me, earth, wind and fire, right, is actual medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's actual mm-hmm. medicine, you know, Boogie Wonderland is the, for me, I don't care what is going on in the world, <laughs> in my life, in anyone, stick on that. And I right. don't think anyone, anyone you know, would not feel slightly uplifted. It's yeah. so funny that you say that. I, I feel the same way about Sir Duke. If I hear that song, <laughs> right? if I hear, if I hear that song early in the day, the chances of me having a bad day drop dramatically. Exactly. You just can't help but 
there you can't help but feel good exactly and of course you know and everybody has different music tastes you know of course Mm. but could be anything yeah it it could be anything but music is so powerful it literally i i believe can you know fix something and as i said i'm not saying listen to earth wind and fire and suddenly you're not going to feel depressed anymore but in that you know but in that moment when perhaps you're really starting to kind of get you know right that might it might just actually bring you up a little bit that actually you're a manageable state even for a minute Mm. so i think there's lots of tools out there music being a key one that are not used enough you know so so not to cut you off, but I, I was—I've no. been thinking about this since I since I saw it on the site. The idea that, and I think the the general public just accepts this that that artists have to you have to suffer in order to be a, a great artist. You have to have these existential crises that happen, you know, yeah. in order to create that. I think at a certain point maybe when you're younger and in school that's that's, that's kind of romantic and it has a certain appeal but after a while you realize that no that's no way to live that does that is that something that that whole suffering artist does that ring true for you or is that something that that you think is a myth oh no goodness yeah and in fact um and I think it was about 10 years ago I started to write a book uh which maybe many years time I might finish which was actually specifically about the link between um, creativity genius and mental health Um, Mm. because I think I mean I could probably put a case forward that there is a link and put a case forward to say that there isn't a link but it can't be denied that some of the greats if you like in all of art had you know were either highly intelligent and you know genius level intelligence but also had kind of you know some mental health issues from kind of you know small to big there's a clear connection there um and yeah I find that fascinating I Mm. I, I always analyze myself. And I think as a child, because I, um, I don't often talk about this actually, um, but as a child, I, I was, um, I, my IQ was tested because I went to these private schools and, uh, you know, and apparently I was, you know, highly intelligent and blah, 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 all that. Um, uh, uh, and, and also I had that kind of creative element and my mum's a, comp- well, she was a complete nutter. So, you know, <laughs> complete nutter so you know I've quite often looked at myself in this kind of you know um because my IQ technically when I did it as a child was 156 which the the description was borderline uh, genius what is the borderline genius but as a a child there's kind of like your parents kind of like your borderline genius I don't even know yeah that's like a lot that's a lot to live up to yeah I don't even know (laughs) yeah and and I say they they kind of they were all mathematicians but I was the crazy creative one I was going to be the next Judy Andrews with a bit of Bette Davis and Judy Garland thrown in because my dad's (laughs) heroes because whilst my mum was Judy Andrews in the kind of you know uh, kind of upper class, posh, respected kind of year. My dad loved the divas, Bette Davis, Judy Gutt, the drama. He was all about kind of that. So, you know, I had this kind of insane kind of um, uh, multitude of influence. <laughs> yeah. And, and I see bits of that in me, you know, because I, I, I think I can be many different things. So I can absolutely be the crazy creative and I'm writing at the moment. So yeah, do you know what? I'm not going to bed because I'm writing till five, six in the morning, not mm-hmm. by choice. 
it's just I'll go up to bed and I'm like, oh, hang on, there's, there's a baseline. And then there's, I get up yeah, right. and I'll write, you know, so I have that element, but I can also be extremely organized and very disciplined and very on it and very sensible if I need to be. Um, so yes, that whole thing fascinates me. That whole kind of, yeah, what does that all mean? Yeah. And where does it all Well, you fit? see that it's, it's, it's sort of the, the Charlie Parker story, right? Or even Miles, like right. where they were kind of geniuses, but they were self-destructive and, and Monk or Art Tatum or any of, any of them. Yeah. 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 And, it's, um, and it's interesting because a lot of artists and, you know, I'm sure we, we, we all have a litany of people that we know or know of. There's this stigma that, that, it, maybe it's not so prevalent now, but there seems to be a stigma that, that, that artists especially don't want to engage in that kind of help. They don't want to get therapy for some out of some fear that they're going to lose that spark or lose what mm. makes them a, mm. a special or creative. And that to me is never really that has never sat well, particularly uh, among artists. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, and I you think speak one, to that? Yeah, I think that there's two things there that I often think about I think because um yeah so uh, I, I do some other work for some qualifications uh, and, and in that um atmosphere they're what I would call normal people <laughs> normal people <laughs> you know in that they're not creatives uh, and, and say there's no criticism but you know there's you know there's someone who leads on engineering on nuclear engineering mm -hmm. on construction so there's all these different specialists and can I do the work as the creative music and performing arts specialist and I know I'm the crazy one to them right <laughs> I, i'm the crazy kind of performing point, yeah. to them um and because what i do the way i am the way i connect with things is so very different to what is normal to them but of course mm -hmm. to me it's it's normal it, you know this is you know and same with all of us and i do think part of being a creative i don't like that term but you you know what i mean we mm -hmm. feel things differently we absolutely feel things differently. And if you're not a creative, you will never fully understand that. And you know, a chord, you might play a chord, right, just, you know, you're four or five notes and you feel that to the depth of your very being. Like that chord, you know, you genuinely feel mm -hmm. it physically, emotionally with every bit of your body. It could make you cry. It could make you happy. A chord, you know? And that isn't, you know, other people don't get that. You know, they can go and listen to an album. They can go to the theater and they can feel connected. And absolutely, they will have emotions, of course. But if you're the, it's different for us. Right. You know, we, we, we genuinely have different emotional connections to the arts in, in whatever field it is. And that, that is what I think is adds to kind of the way we think and feel about things which can mm -hmm. go crazy. I mean, if you, yeah, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, and I went, <laughs> I, I went to see Hiromi, who's one of my, uh, I don't know if you know the oh, amazing, yeah. oh, she's like another one yeah. of my heroes. And I was a huge fan of her and she came to London and I was like, oh, and I went with my son actually, who's also a, a fan of hers. I cried, I'm sorry, I sat there, <laughs> I think two chords in, I think she played two chords and I just looked at my son and I was, I was bawling. <laughs> You know, not because it was amazing to see her, but her playing the emo. It was just you know that, we connect we connect with things differently, yeah. and it can't really be explained right. if you're not in that creative field. 
Yeah, it's, it can't it's, be explained if you are. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's the thing. But so it is. It is it's in hard. some ways, and also, you know, I, I don't like to delve into it too much because isn't that part uh-huh. of what we do? We don't even know why that chord right. makes us feel that way. Does it matter? I, I don't know that it matters. I guess it only matters when it becomes a, a kind of mental health issue. Well, mm. I would say too, like a lot of you know. it's something I just talked to. Yeah. Um, uh, some people about actually a couple of uh, film directors I just interviewed, but um, the thing about it is like, uh, I think with, with all the ed- music education and, and the arts education, that's awesome. Um, but sometimes we overanalyze music. We overanalyze the process and we lose sight of the fact that actually it's supposed to make you feel something. And if it doesn't mm. make you feel something, if it's a film, if it's, if it's a record, uh, what are you doing? If it's not, if it's not moving somebody emotionally, I mean, that's the whole point, right? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And I think we worry too much. And again, from my work in academia, I see this, and even as a journalist, I see this too much and I can't stand it that, you know, the arts, it's about how you feel, you know, Mm. and whether it's jazz or Norwegian death metal or whatever, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, if it it does something for you, then it does something for you. And we shouldn't criticize or necessarily analyze why it does something for you, because that's Mm -hmm. the nature of the art. Arts, you know, and right. I think for me, I was thinking about dance a, a, a lot, you know, because I trained as a dance, but too old and and mm-hmm. unfit really to, to kind of do it now. But you know, a movement like literally, you could do this. That the feeling you get, you're just moving an arm, you know. But doing that, you know, a simple arm movement, it something off in your brain, you. right? Yeah. yeah, and also just watching it, like if you think about going to see a dance show what all people are doing is moving their body but you connect with that for whatever reason so mm-hmm. yeah I, I worry sometimes that we analyze if it's good and it does something then surely that's yeah that's right that's that's the whole point mm-hmm. it's all about truth and making you feel something I think yes. yeah, that, that's the yeah. ultimate truth yeah um, Fiona how can people find you um online I know you're you're um you're now a social media diva like like <laughs> you're kind I'm of everywhere your you're kind I'm of everywhere your league. well you know um <laughs> so tell, tell tell us how people can find you and we're also going to put your links in the uh, podcast description so thank you um yes I'm everywhere so my website is just fionaross.co.uk um but I'm on so and all my links are on there so Facebook Instagram Twitter uh yeah, I think that's those ones. And then Women in Jazz Media, if you want to look at that, um, is womeninjazzmedia.com uh, and the links to the Facebook page are there. But yeah, probably the easiest thing is just my name. And actually, if you type in Fiona Ross Jazz on Google, then all my stuff uh, come. I've been working hard on my SEO. So yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I come up quite... Awesome. I come up quite quickly. Yeah, and the, you have um, also some of your articles are well, actually all your articles are on jazzandeurope.com and and some other the other sites that you're you're writing for currently. Yeah, on my site there's a journalism page and that takes you to the magazines I've written for. So if awesome. you go on the journalism, then you click on that, then it'll take you to Jazz in Europe uh, and the new magazine that I'm doing some work with, which is Jazz Quarterly as well. So yes, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I you know when, when I when I come and stay at your place. Uh, when I'm in London, we always have great talks and, and uh, we, we, we have our hour long uh, subway sandwich talks. At the, at the we do. Evening. Thank you. And have I taught, how long have we been? Oh, we've been ages. I'm sorry if I talk too much. Oh, no, no, no. It's great. Uh, you, know, you, have, you have a great story. And actually, I mean, we could, we could keep going on because actually there's a lot more that we didn't, we didn't even touch. And maybe when I you still get have, your... I still have a list. 
I know. <laughs> I know yeah. it. <laughs> so what, what I was going to say is when, when you do uh, when you do your next uh, release or when your next uh, major project come out, let, let's uh, let's talk about doing one again. We'll catch up because I mean the thing is you're actually a world class interviewer, so it's nice because we're, we're all in an even kill here. We all do we all do this. So yeah, that, you that's make, awesome. You make me sound all fancy, a world class interviewer. Oh well, it's you only, are. It's only me. <laughs> yeah, you have you have quite a quite a list of, of people that uh, that you've interviewed. It's pure luck, but thank. Thank you. Well, it's, it's luck means opportunity meets, uh, meets uh, you know, ingenuity and, and hard work. So we, we all know that story, I think. Sure. Um, so, John, this is our, 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 our new series here, series the, two. The premiere of season two. Here we I, are. I think, we did, I, think we did, I think we did okay. <laughs> I think we started off great. You know, we, I, I think, and hopefully we haven't been away too long and people will catch us. But I, fi- I figure if, if people can wait a year and a half for a season of Game of Thrones, then they can exactly. wait a couple of months for us. So, exactly. and this, and, and we're gonna we're gonna end better than they did too. So this is there this you is go. A good way to start it off. Yeah, this is a good way to start it off. Um, so it, for was, th- it was a pleasure to talk to you. It's it's so great to to, to meet you. Virtually. Oh, thank. It's really lovely to meet you too. We could, I think, we yeah. could have talked for hours. So it's probably yeah, just before so. you stopped. But yeah, I'll bring I'll bring John over to London and we'll do a gig sometime. <gasps> please fun. do. Yes, please. No, please, yes, you're please. always welcome. Please do. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Fiona. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we will tag you and get all your information out there and make sure people can find you. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing and for inviting me. Okay, cool. That does it for this week. Join us again soon for another edition of The Groove Coast. And thanks for listening. And remember, life doesn't have to be serious. It just has to be groovy.